Greetings, and welcome to episode 15 of DLN Extend. If you haven't listened before, we choose topics covered by the Destination Linux Network that we think, you know, need further discussion and extend the conversation. These shows include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek, Tux Digital, Zebedee Boss Gaming, and Hardware Addicts. I'm Nate, a Linux fitness and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. And I'm Eric. So, Nate, what have you been up to this week? Well, since the last time we talked, uh, I've, I've had two different people from two different circles of my life ask me about Linux that I didn't really expect. Yeah, so, like, they want Linux on their, on their system. They said they're tired of Windows. Uh, one, one person said, I don't trust my computer anymore, and they are running Windows 10. And it's not that old of a computer, really. Um, and I... I said, well, uh, what don't you trust about it? And they showed me, and they don't, I guess they, they, they distrust their computer so much that they don't even use it anymore or hardly use it because it just it get, it throws up all these errors. And then someone else was just a random text message from uh, another circle of my life saying, you need to tell me about this Linux thing. And, and I have a little bit. One person I'm going to install this weekend, I think, for them, see how it goes. Uh, I don't, I'm going to try, of course, my distribution of choice and then kind of, if they don't like that, then I'll go to Linux Mint next, I think is what I've decided, because then I know it should be no problem. But anyway, so I guess we'll see how that goes. The other person, I really haven't decided yet what I'm going to do with them. I might just throw them out on Linux Mint. Don't tell anybody. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that you know I, I don't push it. I don't evangelize it. And I'm getting some uh, people interested in it as of late. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you. But this is a, um, this is a first to have two in such a short period of time. So you don't evangelize it, but how... How do they know that you would be the person to ask about Linux? Well, I mean, when they ask me, what are you, what are you up to? What are you doing? Why does your computer look different? Because, you know, one person, they, I do a lot of admin work at another gig, I guess you could say. And, uh, and I make no bones about it. I'm not afraid to talk about it. Or I'll say, yeah, no, I use this. I don't know how to use that. I use this, is what I'll say. And so they know. The other person was, you know, was curious about my hobbies. And so I, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I like Linux. And I like this thing called OpenSUSE. What's that? It's, you know, it's like Windows or Mac, except better, basically. That's, that's kind of how I put it. Obviously, that's my opinion. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it or I'm de degrading anyone who does. But And so it just, it kind of came up recently that they would like some help. And that also is interesting to me that they, unprompted, are having this interest on their own, I, I guess, accord to look for alternatives and to not just, I guess, automatically look at Mac. I think uh, cost is part of the factor there. I mean, Mac is not cheap. But that, that is a good question. Why didn't they just buy a Mac? I don't really know. Or buy a new computer. Well, I know one didn't want to buy a new computer because they just bought this computer a couple of years ago, I think, and didn't use it enough to justify purchasing another computer. They want to reuse the hardware then, and they right. recognize the fact that maybe they could do something different with the same computer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. I'll help them out. But I did say, hey, look this isn't Windows, it doesn't work the same. And they seem fine with that. So I think one of them I'm going to potentially help not this weekend, but the following weekend, I think, and one, the other one this weekend. So I guess I'll, I can report back next week how one of them went. Hopefully I'm not going to tell you it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you feel like you'd be comfortable 
providing ongoing support, or is this something you'd want them to manage themselves? I mean, I guess if I look at and I think about the idea of converting someone to Linux, I mean, I think of my experience of just supporting Windows and Mac and my family. They have problems with those and ultimately come back to me with those types of questions. And so I think, all right, if I put them on Linux, not that they're not going to get support, but they're obviously going to come back to me. And if, if they feel like they're starting from scratch, maybe I'm setting myself up for a lot of extra work. Not that it isn't worth it, and they'll have, a, I think, a better outcome. But ultimately, that transition period could be difficult. So I wonder, just thinking of myself, how would I feel being in that position, knowing that I am happy that they want to try an alternative, but also, I guess, selfishly thinking, Am I setting myself up for some large effort to to sort of hold their hand? I don't know if that makes sense, but no, that makes total sense. And I, and as you're saying, as you're speaking about it, I, I'm thinking, as soon as I help somebody with a computer problem, regardless of the operating system, I'm going to be their guy. That's just what happens. So as soon as I agree to any level of help, I'm on the hook anyway. It seems like. So, I mean, t- so from that perspective, what is it that I want to support is really what it boils down to. Do I want to support another Windows 10 computer? And the answer to that is going to be immediately a no, a resounding no. Um, do I want to support a Mac? I have, and I do support one. For me, it's miserable, so I don't want to do that either. Could I support Mint? I probably wouldn't have to do much with Mint, honestly. Yeah, that might get me off the hook entirely. I mean, I think if you set up snapshots, you sort of went the mint route and you set up the snapshots and, you know, the system, the way they sort of prescribe it as you go through the first boot. I, I don't think you would have a lot of issues. But on the other hand, with OpenSUSE, they're going to have system snapshots and some of that reliability that's built in as well. So I don't think the distro from an admin perspective from our perspective, right? If we're helping someone else, I don't think that's going to be the major limiting factor. It's much more about the desktop experience for that user. And if they do want to install software, how do they do it? If they do want to change things, how are the settings? Are they familiar? Are they comfortable? You're looking at it from a couple of different perspectives. And I don't know, I guess thinking about what I just said about setting myself up for more work I think it would be dependent on the person as much as anything, because if it was someone that I felt was even remotely computer literate, then I would probably be much more comfortable. But if it was someone that I knew just has no interest in learning about computers, they just want to sit down in front of it and use it and are the type of people that already get in touch with me because they find new and inventive ways to break their computer, I wonder... Even though Linux is more resilient to that sort of stuff, I believe, I wonder if that's the type of person I would undertake that with. I I don't know. Not having been in that situation where anyone's asked me, I I mean, I think I would be really excited, honestly, if someone cared enough to actually say, hey, you know about Linux, right? I I don't know what I would do, honestly, because I have literally never had a non-technical person or non-IT person ask me that question. Well, I mean, you hear like like Dark One, he says, you know, what's the right distribution for somebody? It's probably not the same one as yours. And I'm I'm kind of taking his words into, you know, seriously and into account. And then I'm also thinking, well, I'm going to have to support this this Linux installation. So what is it that I feel best about, su- about supporting? I think what I'm going to do this weekend, I, you, you actually helped me make the decision. 
just now for the one that's nearby that I can drive to their house in, within 20 minutes, I'm going to go with the open Sousa route. For the person that is about an hour away, I am going to set them up with Mint. And the reason I say that is I can support Mint very easily because it's just, I, I apologize if this offends anybody or you, but it's Ubuntu, it's Debian, it's really easy, it's just super easy, even in the command line, just to take care of things it's not hard. You know what I mean? It's just, it's easy to take care of. It's easy to manage. You know, everything is kind of done for you. I already got all my notes for you know, the, the software I know that this guy's going to need. So I think that's the route I'm going to do. And I think that you helped me make that decision just now. Fantastic. So what else has been on your plate this week? So this is not really Linux directed, but this is definitely technology. Uh, my, my oldest boy, he's, he's eight. He started an electronics engineering class. It's, it's a beginner class. And, and right now we're playing with transistors and switches and noisy making things. It's been very educational for me. It's been loads of fun. I'm kind of relearning how to uh, properly use a, a like just a transistor. And then thinking about like my phone has billions of transistors in it. And I would hate to have to build one of those with those transistors the size of a, well, I don't know how big. They're tiny. They're, you know, four or five millimeters across. But yeah, so that's been another recapturing my education in, in electronics has been loads of fun for me. It's always fun to learn something with your child. And even if it's something that you understand, to take them through the fundamentals and the steps of it, just see it fresh through their eyes, if nothing else. I mean, when I was a kid, the way I learned about technology was really taking things apart and trying to figure out how they work. And electronics were still at the stage where you could open up and see how things were soldered together. And I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't exist anymore, but for the most part, solid state technology being what it is today, it's you can open it up and look at it, but you're really not. It's like opening the hood on your car. <laughs> you know, there's there's an engine in there somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> under, these, under these layers of plastic. Now, see, I thought when you, you were going to tell me when you opened up the technology, you, you got to play with the wheel on the typewriter or or reset a vacuum tube. <laughs> no, not that old. Come on. There's something about that hands-on, tactile, get in there, play with it. You know, hopefully you don't break something, but there's just, I don't know, there's a certain sense of satisfaction. And, and it's that confidence, right? If you, there's so many people in this world, and I've probably said this a million times, and I for, forgive me for being the get off my lawn you know, old guy mentality, but I just feel like there's so many people in this world <laughs> that don't have the interest or the confidence to fix things themselves. And yes, a lot of things are built to break at this point. They have a useful life and they're not intended to be repaired, but there are so many things that people can do for themselves that they don't even try. And I think it's just from lack of experience and, and again, confidence. I think it's a shame when I see people that just throw up their hands and say it's broken. And, and I, I know you absolutely are the type of person that does not see things as being junk just because they don't work. It's, it's just they don't work. Right. And there's a, uh, there was a course I took many years ago at, at my employer when I was, the first time I was there called a failure modes and effects analysis. That's a, it was a, it was a course that they, internal course that they kind of put on. And I found that that was one of the more helpful courses I think that I've had in my more formative years and of my career. And it's interesting you say when someone says that something's broken and they can't give you any more information than that. I'm having an issue currently at work, which I haven't shared this with you, but we're testing something. I created a test fixture for something. I, I What exactly is not important? The technician told me it was broken. And I said, well, 
what do you mean broken? I mean, it's all together and as well, it's not doing its job. I said, okay, well, how is it not doing its job? Says, well, it's just not doing it. Like, well, can I have a little more information than that? You know, I said, and so I, uh, I went, took measurements, you know, test, look, check everything against the prints because, you know, someone else makes it. I don't make it. I just design it and then put it together. In this case, I didn't put it together. The technician put it together. And the uh, gaskets were wrong in it. So I got the right, the gaskets per the spec. But when I got the correct gaskets, uh, the, the variation in each gasket was as such that things weren't quite sealing like they should, I guess, is what I, what I should say. It's sealing too much. The, the, the movement was not what was not like I was expected. So I ordered some other parts to change, like some different, uh, different diameters to adjust for the variation in the, in the gaskets. Long story short, because I could ramble on about that, uh, it's been a problem for a while. I'm not convinced that any of them were actually tested, <laughs> like properly. So I, I have to try and figure out what the actual problem is. I'm not in charge of the project. I'm just the designer that created the parts, you know, that to, f- this, to fit this, this need. But anyway, suffice to say, if you don't examine the problem, you can't find the solution to the problem. And to loop that back, you know, I think that this class with my kid, I think he's, you know, when, when, we, when he miswired the, the circuit and then we fixed it, it was neat for him to see, you know, the debugging process, essentially. And that, that can translate into so many different areas. So, Eric, what have you been up to? I have spent an inordinate amount of time working on audio stuff. I've just been unhappy in general with my audio, and I don't have a great microphone, and I think that that's probably a big part of it. But before I went out and spent some hundreds of dollars on a new microphone, I wanted to really understand what was happening on my system and try a lot of different things before I just said, well, better hardware is going to fix it. Because hardware makes a difference, and obviously garbage in, garbage out, right? But I don't think this microphone is awful. I just think it's, you know, it's a $50 microphone, and it sounds like a $50 microphone. (laughs) Could I make it any better just by using software? And that was really what it came down to. I tried Jack a bunch of times, and I've mentioned it several times, you know, on here and elsewhere. And this was probably my fifth time of coming back and and really giving it another shot. And we talked about the confidence of, of you know, understanding different components and, and taking the time to educate yourself. And, and a lot of it is trial and error. I, I read a lot. I watched a lot of videos. And ultimately, none of that helped me more than just familiarizing me with the concepts. And then in practice, I had to do it all myself. And and that's okay. I'm glad I did because now I feel like I have a much stronger understanding. So one half of that was just understanding Jack and the way that that's wired together, the tools that are available, how they all fit together. And from there, what software is on top of Jack, because Jack's just facilitating the connections and then the software itself makes such a big difference. So I've been using Audacity for most of my audio stuff and it it's good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Audacity, but I think one of the things that where it was failing me, one of the areas that was failing me was the destructive nature of using Audacity and filters. It's all post-recording and I can liken it to raw photography versus taking a JPEG, right? The interpolation that's happening in your camera's processor and sensor when you save to JPEG is such that it's destructive coming up with its best guess of what the scene was, what the lighting was, yada, yada, yada. And so 
the difference between that and shooting in raw is raw is just whatever hit the sensor, right? And you can take it and do whatever you want with it at that point, but you always have that full fidelity snapshot. And I think that was a big part of what I was missing is I would play with my microphone. I would play with my audio. I would get all these things set. I would do test recordings and things would sound okay. But then whenever I actually recorded something, it wasn't right. And once it's not right, you're working uphill. You've got an arm tied behind your back and you're trying to, uh, you know, do your best to, to make something out of really nothing, garbage in, garbage out again. The other half of this is I've been playing with digital audio workstations and I was using Ardor and trying a lot of different things with Ardor. And Ardor is pretty amazing. It's open source and it's a really powerful tool. But I was having problems because so many DAWs are focused specifically on music, which makes perfect sense. I mean, most people who are doing pro audio or, I mean, I don't know, even hobbyist audio, a lot of it is focused on music making, you know, so all the tools that you would need in there for recording instruments or having meters and times and all that stuff is focused around beats and, you know, music production. And that's frustrating when you're trying to do stuff exclusively with voice because that kind of gets in your way. I don't need 95% of the stuff that's in our door because I'm really just focused on the filters for, you know, voices, the channels for voices, the editing, all that stuff is, I, I just don't need any of it. And it's confusing because there's so much there. None of it is relevant to me. So I did some more research and I found... I looked at Reaper and I found Reaper before, but it's kind of confusing. It's a lot like what I would imagine if I were to look at one of your CAD software or when you open Blender the first time. It's just there's so much in front of you. You have no idea what you're looking at. And you're just like... Too knobs and switches. Oh, it's just... It's unbelievable. So it's it's a powerful tool. It, it's it's like a, like a tool chest with, you know, a thousand piece tool set. And instead of the 10 piece tool set where you're like, well, it's got to be one of these 10 things... All of a sudden, it's like, wow, <laughs> there's 16 drawers over there, and I have no idea where anything is. And But I watched the video series by a, a channel called Booth Junkies, Mike Delgadio. He's he's just a, a, he's a voiceover actor, and he's, you know, it's that's his job. It's what he does, and he does his own production and his own mastering and, like, mixing and everything. So he himself has gone through all of the same stuff that I've been trying to do. And he has a series on Reaper and how he set it up as the ultimate voiceover system. And so I, I got a copy of Reaper and I started playing around with it. And it is unbelievably powerful. All of that initial shock of like, there's so much here. Once you take the time to understand it, you can customize it in a way where you can take away all the music stuff. And it's you're just left with what's relevant and needed for voice production. And so I've been playing around with Reaper and it's, it is not open source. I wish there was a better alternative on the open source side. I've spent so much time over the last year trying to find a good solution. And, you know, Reaper in this last week or so of me testing has been just unbelievable. Well, excellent. I look forward to hearing how this progresses. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. 
DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. On episode 161 of Destination Linux, one of the topics they brought up was the PinePhone Braveheart edition shipping. And lots of people have had this. We mentioned on the last show that there's a thread in the forum about people testing different distributions and different software. The co-host for episode 161 was Dalton Durst of the UBports team. And so they had a really great conversation about PinePhone, about the progress that's being made and where it stands now, the things they want to do moving forward, the gaps that they see in trying to make it as good an experience as, say, an Android phone. Things like battery life and performance. Dalton mentioned that the upcoming release of UBports is a significant rewrite in many areas for performance and fluidity and just overall usability. So it definitely sounds like having this Braveheart edition out there was the smart move on their part, get it into the hands of early adopters and developers, let them kick the tires and really figure out where they stand and what they need to do in terms of making it a better experience. I don't know if you had a chance to uh, to listen to that or if you had thoughts on it, but it everything I hear just seems so positive. And so it's not perfect. And everybody admits that it's not perfect and it's not ready for prime time for most people. But the fact that it works as well as it does at the price point it's at, they got these things shipped out and people are really enjoying the exercise of testing it out. And people have just such a positive attitude, right? Not only the developers, but the end users, everybody's really pitching in. We've talked about the idea of a Linux smartphone and seen it, you know, attempted many times over the years. But everything about this to me just seems like they've actually got some traction and that they're making progress. And that by time the next batch, the first, you know, official release comes out, that there will be a reasonably well-performing and functioning system for people to start with. I will say personally, it really excited me to hear just all the positives that Dalton was experiencing with with the PinePhone. And I know he had said some negatives, but my uh, overly optimistic self just kind of glossed over those. I mean, I realize you're not going to have the the apps, all all the applications are not going to be available on the phone, and it's it's kind of a new, a brave new world. Uh, no pun intended. It really like whetted my appetite for getting one of these. I know I know the Braveheart have all been been sent out, and there there there's going to be another release. I don't know when. It, I, I don't recall when he said, but I know not in the not too distant future. I really want to get one. I I made a commitment that I would clean up these other projects around my house before I. You know, I, I added this new one to it because I know it's going to suck my time and I'm going to really enjoy it. So I'm kind of abstaining for now. But no, I, I'm I'm absolutely excited. And I, I was almost beside myself in excitement listening to Dalton talk about it and his experience. You could see his excitement in it. And uh, and I, it, I, I cannot imagine it would be a bad experience. Based on the issues and irritations that I've dealt with with Android and iPhone, I cannot imagine me being less happy with it at this point. It's such an interesting perspective to see that they are developing on a system that's open and available and that they have a, a 
feedback available, you know, to the to the builders, to the hardware manufacturers themselves. Whereas when you look at what they've done over the years with Android phones and trying to reverse engineer and get around roadblocks. That's exactly what I dislike about Android. It's that that closing in and the the restrictions. And to me, and, and again, I, you know, what what I value in a piece of technology is different than obviously most of the world. But to me, what makes a, a, a device enjoyable is the fact that it is kind of like a sandbox that I can build whatever I want inside of. And and sure, it might not be as pretty and shiny as that, the, the plastic that other people offer, but it, it's my it's my sandbox. It's something that I've created to suit my needs as much as possible. And, and I'm sure with things like Anbox, they'll fill in some of those gaps, at least in the short term. And it maybe won't run at full speed, but I think we've talked about this before. Banking apps is, well, a singular banking app is all I'm really interested in anyway. Um, I mean, outside of that, my phone doesn't get that much use. You know, I just don't enjoy using it much of the time. If I have, uh, you know, Telegram, Discord, you know, uh, Firefox, web browser, I don't even need or want Netflix. That, that covers most of what I need anyway. I mean, I'm in the in the web browser for for most things. I think what's what's most compelling to me is I can buy a bunch of SD cards and I can try different variations of different I don't know if I'll call them desktops, but different operating systems running on the Pine phone. And so I, I have this this place where I can play and experiment and, and see what works best for me. That excites me. It it, it like reclaims the mobile space, I guess if you could, you know, as it were, and really makes computers in the mobile space fun again. I completely agree. And when I figured out that you could do that with an SD card, on one hand, it's a little scary because it's like I have so many choices now. Is it going to be just like distro hopping on my computer? Either one little thing gets in my way and I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm going to try something else or the new shiny comes out. But the idea that you could just have everything on your SD card and you want to try that new thing. Great. Just pop it out, put the new one in. I have good news for you in that in that space. I just bought a 512 gigabyte SD card for $11. Just put that into perspective. <laughs> so recently on the Ask Noah show, Noah brought up one praising the KDE Plasma desktop, and, and I, I couldn't disagree with anything he said about that. But then he went into how he doesn't see the value in rolling distributions. And maybe it's his you know, maybe somewhat curmudgeon way of, of looking at Linux in a nice way. I'm saying that nicely, you know, he's kind of like a, he, he's, although he's younger than I am, he's kind of an, uh, an old man Linux, get off my lawn, it seems like. He wants his LTS uh, Linux distributions and, and doesn't see the benefit of a, of a rolling distribution. And I, I couldn't help but, but think that maybe his, his view of the rolling distribution was, was maybe put like kind of like looking squarely at Arch. And, and traditional Arch and his struggles with Arch in the past. Because he didn't seem to have really a problem with Neon so much, although he didn't update it for a while. And then when he finally updated it and rebooted, then it didn't come back. And all right, that was, you know, I guess that can happen. I mean, it did happen, right? But I have really found that I don't see the value of an LTS release for me anymore. And, you know, it's obviously not a secret. I'm a big fan of the OpenSUSE project and I use Tumbleweed on, on most of my systems. And I find that for the most part, it's a much lower maintenance system than the traditional static releases where I have to take some time out, carve some time out to go do the updates on it, you know, go through the update process to move from one static release to another. Now you could argue cumulatively I've spent more time on a rolling distribution, but 
you know, if I'm once a month or once every other week or once every couple of months doing the tumbleweed update process, I'm really not spending that much time on it. And I don't have to really think about about the operating system. I don't have to worry about it breaking. And should something happen where I have to roll it back, I can very easily roll it back and I'm, you know, it's like it never even happened. So I don't know, I, I kind of think that maybe he missed the mark on it or maybe he, he never actually has used tumbleweed. And so his view was askewed as such that he's looking at his, I'm going to call it legacy experience with rolling distributions. I mean, although, you know, in all fairness, I'm not a big Arch fan because of, you know, my negative experiences with it. But there's a lot of people, I know yourself, you know, Ryan, they have, they love their Arch. Like, I'm like, you're not even here. I'm talking about you. You <laughs> and Ryan like, like Arch and have had great experiences with it. I mean, you, you just had a good experience with Manjaro. I know Endeavor, you've been having wonderful experiences with. So obviously, it's not everybody, it's not universal. And I, I think that maybe Noah missed the mark a little bit just in that, in that regard, as far as the, his lack of value in the rolling distribution. You know, I know you like Mint, or you, you historically liked Mint, and I know that you, uh, there are some others, yeah, Kubuntu, you've been using Kubuntu as well, and I wasn't sure if Pop West is in your, in your list of, of go-tos, but, uh, but you've obviously had some good experiences on both the rolling and non-rolling. So w- what is your take on, on that? I think they both have their place, or they wouldn't exist. It really comes down to, I think, if I'm going to look into Noah's perspective on this and, and try to guess, it's a couple things. One, in his line of work where he's deploying systems, the last thing you want, we touched on this earlier in our discussion about supporting a Linux distribution or desktop for someone who doesn't know how to do it themselves. That's his business. That's what he does. And so from that perspective, it doesn't make sense to put a rolling distro in a production environment necessarily because then you're kind of stuck with having to run updates or when those updates run the potential of something changing whether or not that's a break it could just be as simple as something gets reconfigured or there's a new version that the you know that needs to be reconfigured it introduces more complexity and churn than maybe you would want to have to deal with particularly in the enterprise environment so from that perspective i completely understand the other thing that i think happens to some people is that and, and I think this is true, whether it's rolling or fixed release, when there are updates, things might change. Let's say you did an update and then you come to do something productive and you sit down and the time you have, you're, you want to dedicate to doing that productive thing. And all of a sudden now you've got a, a sysadmin task that you've got to deal with instead. And then so instead of spending that time getting something done, you spend that time fixing your system. Now I contend that it's just as easy to break a static release as it is a rolling release particularly if you try hard enough, uh, depending on what you're doing with that system, if you change enough of the fundamental architecture or, you know, underpinnings of things, I, I don't think the distro type makes any difference whatsoever. So I can tell you, I do really enjoy Arch. It's just something that clicks with me and it has for a very long time. When I think back of my tenure of desktop Linux, it is either an Ubuntu based system or an Arch based system. I understand both of them well enough that I'm comfortable in both systems. And if something breaks in Ubuntu, which it does frequently, and not because of Ubuntu, but because of me doing something, I know how to fix it. Because like you said, Debian and Ubuntu bases are, once you understand how they fit together and apt and some of the repos and like how all that stuff works, it's fairly straightforward. I think at the end of the day, we all run things that we're comfortable running. And those types of distributions, whether it's static or fixed or a rolling distribution, have their place. Newer hardware, 
if you want newer software that's just in the repositories and not using a universal package format or compiling it for yourself, then a rolling distro makes perfect sense on a you know workstation, a gaming system, something where you have newer hardware. Rolling, to me, makes a lot of sense. If I'm setting up a computer for an office that's a workstation for someone doing office tasks, there's no need for them to have the absolute latest version of any given software. They don't need the latest kernel. They don't need the benefits that come from a rolling distribution. It may not be a bad thing. It, it might still work fine. But I think the accepted sort of norm is that in those situations, you don't want to see all the churn and all those updates. And so you install an LTS, not, not only a fixed release, but an LTS release. Right. And even an LTS release is going to get even fewer updates and have even fewer changes than a static up to date release, like let's say an Ubuntu 19.10 or something. They both have their merits. They both exist for a reason. They serve different purposes. So I was just kind of noodling this in my head and some recent conversation in the uh, one of the OpenSUSE groups that I, I kind of hang out in when I can. There was actually some arguments made quite the contrary that if the OpenSUSE project had to dump either Tumbleweed or Leap, the consensus, and mind you, these are people who are very involved in the project, even though that there is a lot more work involved, consensus was that they would probably dump Leap over Tumbleweed because of the reliability of Tumbleweed, the general reliability of it. There's some arguments being made that it's actually harder to maintain an LTS type distribution than it is a rolling distribution because you have to try and make sometimes like newer software back you have to you have to backport newer software into some older bases and that can cause more instability than the rolling release model where everything is is set to work you know with with a, a given set of packages newer software is generally built on newer kernels newer drivers and so forth and so you're, you're likely to have a better experience on that than you are to have on a, a, a more static LTS, where toward the end of the life of that LTS, things can become a little bit, you know, a little bit ropey or a little bit helter skelter, as it were, because of how the software has changed and evolved over that period of time. Kind of a, a discussion on the on the dangers of backporting, essentially. And actually, it made a lot of sense to me, although I don't do that kind of work, but it, it gave me pause to think. Now, I don't know. I think typically like an LTS, they don't change a lot of the software. They're just doing patches. Sometimes there are backports. I, I don't know, but I can't really say for sure on that. I, I do know that I am I am getting a newer Firefox on Leap, but that's something that I, I elected to do as opposed to just the, the ESR release. So I don't know. It kind of makes me makes me think. I see Noah's point of view, like, you know, to, to argue in favor of Noah's point of view, uh, because really I agree with you. But to argue his point of view, he's making money from Linux. He he goes in and he he sets up companies and sets up organizations. He's not like me helping you know Joe Schmo out with their Linux or the, with their with their personal computer. He's you know he's doing it at a at a, a larger scale. And so for him, he probably can't invest time into little nitnoid you know updates causing problems and a machine going down or machines going down. So I can see the value of an LTS in that regard especially if they're primarily just using it for productivity as opposed to gaming or anything of that nature he might be right and actually i think rolling distributions are are the future i think i think static releases and i could be way wrong on this but i, I think in the future i think probably the next 5 years i'm going to go ahead and make a prediction here in the next 5 years i think we're going to see a lot less emphasis on static releases On episode 28 of Linux for Everyone, 
Jason talked about exercising some demons and some issues with burnout and basically a passionate rant about some things in the Linux community. And one of the things that he brought up is kind of one of my favorite topics, which is he's very pragmatic about using what works for him. I've had this conversation with several different people over, (laughs) it's something that just comes up a lot the idea of dual booting with windows or having a dedicated system that's windows or or some other operating system and you're using that system for something that you just can't quite find the, the right solution on linux and the fact that i guess some people would see that as a failing it's okay to have the ideal that you would prefer to use linux open source whatever it is rather than using proprietary software But the reality is that there are just things that are harder or impossible on Linux. And yes, most of it is that same five, you know, (laughs) same five pieces of software we always talk about, Microsoft Office and Adobe Suite and some things with video editing or audio production. Or there, There are definitely things that are more difficult or less polished or refined in open source and of course that's true because it's the open source model doesn't necessarily build in a way for reimbursement that we're seeing a lot of changes around that. But ultimately the landscape isn't such that you have enough adoption. I mean, let's keep in mind here, folks, we're, we're a very small single digit percentage of the overall PC or desktop space. So when people are disparaging to others because they choose to use the better solution, it is a little infuriating and it doesn't help move the ball forward. The better way to look at it, in my opinion, is why do people feel the need to use Windows or Mac or anything else? And then look at those use cases and say, well, maybe this is somewhere where we can actually make progress. It makes me think, so I, I use Windows daily for work because the software that I need to use is not available in Linux and, and my company doesn't actively support using alternative operating system. But anyway, I find whatever job you have to get done, you have to get that job done and you have to use the tools that you are given to use for you. But I will say, because I'm in Windows every day, I find that at the end of the day, you know, when I'm when I'm done working, I find that, you know, me personally, and this is like whatever works for you, great, awesome. I just don't want to do much extra or I, I don't want to play as much in the software. I mean, it's good. So- it's, you know, it works very well. And Windows, like the CAD software, because the experience, you know, the, as far as the, the glitchiness and the crashing that happens, and it's been this way, it's not, this is not a new thing, is at this point where like it, it just makes it unfun to use. And for me, computers, personal computers are something that are personal to you. If you personally can't do something, you know, whatever that might be, you have to use the right tool. But at the same time, if you don't enjoy the tool, you dread using the piece of technology, that's probably also not the right tool for you either. And, you know, I find that very often for me, Linux is essentially my happy place. Well, I should say OpenSUSE Linux is my happy place. I almost kind of retreat there. Like it's kind of like a digital retreat of sorts for me when I can just go ahead and use that. Now, I do have a sidekick machine at work that does have Linux on it, and that's fine. You know, the employer doesn't seem to care about that. Uh, in fact, they have a bring-your-own-device policy, too, So, which is, that's kind of nice. It's almost like there, there are times as I'm working 
that I just have to stop looking at my Windows machine just for a little bit and just transition to Linux. And you know, I don't know why. It could be that there's something wrong with me, like I'm fundamentally broken inside, and that's why I have to do it. But um, but that's kind of what keeps me happy. So for whatever your situation is, you got to do what keeps you motivated, keeps you wanting to do, because that's really what's important ultimately. These are tools. They can be playthings too, but they're they're primarily tools. Well, we've reached the end of yet another episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you being here. As always, love to continue the discussion with you. This is a great conversation that Nate and I get to have, and I feel lucky to do that. Love to have a conversation with you as well. Join us on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on other shows and creators, destinationlinux.network. You can find me on destinationlinux.network under the creators section. Nate's there as well. I prefer to hang out on the Discourse server. I know every show on this network tends to <laughs> maybe go a little overboard on on hyping up Discourse, but it's kind of hard to oversell it because really the variety of topics, the variety of opinions and backgrounds, and you have everybody from every level of usage and capability and technical background and creative backgrounds. You've got musicians and photographers and you've got IT people and server admins and developers and everybody is having this great conversation there. And I find it personally a very interesting place to be. So Nate, how about you? Where can we find out more information about you? I too like to hang out in the discourse. It's a great place. People are friendly. There's a lot of really interesting information to be gathered there. You can find me there. You can name drop me. I will likely respond fairly quickly. Or you can go to cubiclenight.com for links to my regular written blatherings podcast if I ever get back around to doing that. And if I uh, actually publish this video I'm working on on YouTube, you can see that there too. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day to you know, listen to us blather about the, uh, the different bits of technology that excite us. And we'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Take care, everyone. See you next week. See you.